Well, good morning. How are we doing today? Doing all right? Good. Wasn't that profoundly beautiful worship this morning? Oh, so grateful for our worship team bringing us before the presence of the Lord like that. Oh, such a rich time of worship together. Very, very grateful for Matt and all of those teammates we have on our worship team to draw us near to God on a Sunday morning. If you get nothing else from today, you got that, okay? Well, we are in this series, uh, Discipleship in a Digital Age, and uh, last week we talked about this idea of rebooting and the possibility that some of us need to kind of get a restart, a reboot in terms of the way we use technology, lest it begin to use us. As we came to uh, the end of our last message series, we had a little conversation well with my son, my 10-year-old boy, Elijah. And um, after church on Sunday morning, well, we gathered around the lunch table and uh, having conversation about how that sermon series ended. He's been coming to the 11 o'clock service for the most part with Susie after they go to the 915 E-Free Kids and they come up here together and then we're able to debrief the, the services together over lunch. And uh, he asked me what the next series was about and I told him it's called Discipleship in a Digital Age. And he said, okay, cool. What video are you going to use, Dad? <laughs> the irony was not lost on me that my son is more interested in the videos before the message than the message after the video. We live in that tension a little bit. And I feel that to some degree as we use these videos to get started at the beginning of a message, as I'm going to use an iPad uh, this morning. As we, we just live in a digital age where it's oftentimes beneficial to communicate visually. And part of my calling is to teach with a passion to those who are more auditory learners and those who are more visual or more kinesthetic learners. And so I'm not sure where you are well with that, but I try to utilize the, these different things in an aim to reach as many people as possible with the good news of the gospel of Christ. That by all means possible, more people might come to know him and grow with him. And yet we recognize, even as I kind of balance, sometimes using too much or providing too much visual stimuli, that, that maybe there will be times that we tip out of balance. But this is part of what we're wrestling through as a church and as individuals and as families, even here in this series. I want to acknowledge here as we begin that this series, Discipleship in a Digital Age, is about way more than social media. It's way more than the screens that we look at. It's way more than the phones in our pockets. It is all of those things, but it's much bigger than that. It's asking critical questions about how do we flourish as people? How did God intend us to live that we would experience the fullness of joy that he offers us? What does it look like to live in the Holy Spirit and exhibit more and more the fruit of the Holy Spirit? And to what degree does digital technology help us with that? And to what degree does it hinder us with that? Now, to be sure, it can do both. Because all that God made is good. Isn't that right? God made it all, and all that he made is, is really good. He even made the silicon which we are now serving as secondary creators, as people, to harness, 
to turn it into digital screens and the like. But all that was made is made by God, and it was good. How we harness it can be either good or bad. It can be used for good or it can be used for evil. And so what we're struggling with together is asking this question, how do we flourish as people as we live in this new age where we are surrounded constantly by digital technology? Let's just declare here at the beginning of the message, the discipleship in a digital age or any age is not about yelling what we're against. Discipleship is about declaring and living for what we're for. It's not yelling what we're against. It is living what we are for. That's what discipleship is. Not yelling against this or that. Don't use this. Don't use that. But, but, but here's the compelling yes. Here's the opportunity for something better. Here's how God would invite us to flourish. And how, with wisdom and courage, do I begin to live more and more for that? We noted last week that that begins with a reboot and with these two words, wisdom and courage, I'd like to share with you a quick quote. It's actually a lengthy quote from a book that Susie and I have recently read called The TechWise Family. And it's just a superb book. It's on the back of your outline. There's a number of resources on the back of your outline. And uh, you might look at these different resources at some point if you're looking to study more beyond this series. But this is one that's really been profound for us. And in the first chapter or two of that book, uh, the author Andy Crouch says this. In an age of easy everywhere, we are going to have to decide. I love that line, easy everywhere. That's our age, isn't it? Whatever you want, you can get it really easy right now in this room. Okay? Don't. In an age of easy everywhere, we're going to have to decide together that nothing is more important than becoming people of wisdom and courage. We are going to have to commit to make every major decision and many small decisions on the basis of these questions. Will this help me become less foolish and more wise? Will this help me become less fearful and more courageous? We will have to teach our children from early on that we are not here as parents to make their lives easier, but to make them better. We will tell them and we will show them most importantly, we will show them, right? Much more than telling, we will show them that nothing matters more to our family than creating a home where all of us can be known, loved, and called to grow. And then we'll have to make hard choices, sometimes even radical choices, to use technology in very different ways from people around us. Don't miss this. It's saying for us to grow in wisdom and in courage in this age that we live in, we're going to have to make some decisions that are going to seem really radical to other people. If you take this series seriously, if you take anything as it relates to discipleship with Jesus seriously, you will have to, at times, make radical choices that seem odd or even strange to other people, but you do it because you're after God's very best yes for your life. Now, the big thing for us today is probably digital technology, but it's not that we are the only ones to have to deal with difficult questions and employ wisdom and courage along the way. 
Across every generation, there have been some of these questions. Do you remember the movie Chariots of Fire? Raise your hand if you watched that movie, Chariots of Fire. Okay, I see about a third of the hands raised. Well, this must be the younger crowd in here. Chariots of Fire was like 1982, 1983. It was a profoundly beautiful movie. And this is one of the only times you hear me say this. Watch that movie. Okay? Chariots of Fire is a profoundly beautiful movie. Won Academy Awards by a man named Eric Liddell. And Eric Liddell, in 1924, was the greatest sprinter in the United States. He went to the 1924 Paris Olympics, where he was scheduled to run in the 100-meter dash for a gold record, and he got scheduled to run in the 100-meter dash on Sunday. He was a very, very strong Christian, and his conviction at that time was that Christians should not compete on Sunday in any sport. Now, he wasn't the only one. There are many other Christians back at home in the United States and in Great Britain and many other places who are asking the same questions. Should a Christian compete on Sunday? And some said yes, some said no. Eric Liddell ultimately said no. To his greatest event, the 100-meter dash in the 1924 Paris Olympics, he declined to participate. He then participated in another one and won a medal famously, then he went on to be a missionary in China. Now, he followed a conviction that's different than my conviction, and perhaps different than many of yours. But I'm just illustrating this point, that in every generation, there are certain questions that we deal with where we'll have to wrestle, what is wisdom? How do I apply it in a courageous way? And no one could say that Eric Liddell did not seek to apply wisdom in a very, very courageous way. Now, in other generations, though, there have been other issues. You think about whether Christians should watch movies. It wasn't too long ago that people said, because of the filth in most movies, people said, no, Christians shouldn't watch movies. Now, that's not really our issue today, but it was in a previous generation. Or how about this one, rock music. Has that ever been an issue in the church? Anyone? How about tobacco products? Listen, if you were a farmer in North Carolina in previous generations, you were not raising corn and soybeans. You were raising something else called tobacco, right? And most of those farmers, at least many of those farmers, were Christians. And they had to wrestle with, is this okay? that we would raise this. Now, no matter what the generation is, there's some kind of questions that we have to wrestle with from time to time. What does wisdom look like? What does courage look like? I would argue that in our generation, there's nothing more profound than this when it comes to asking those questions as families. Last week, I encouraged you to begin having a conversation with family, with friends, with life group, about what it might look like to reboot, what it might look like to fast even from time to time for 12 hours or 24 hours or maybe even a longer period of time from digital technologies in order to awaken our hunger for God again if we have lost some of our hunger for God because of the constant easy everywhere access that we have. And a number of you have told me that you're already having those conversations. Some of you have already chosen to fast from something for 12 hours or a day at a time. It's not too late to keep having those conversations. 
and to consider how we might regularly fast from some of this, let it get, lest it get too large a role in our lives, too much control in our lives. Today I want to talk about repentance. I want to talk about repentance. Repentance is not an easy word, is it? In fact, it hurts even to say it. It doesn't roll real easily off the tongue, as I said it just now. But repentance is critical to the Christian life. Repentance is, let me give you this definition, repentance is a change of mind that results in a change in action. First is changing our mind about some sin, some failure, some misdeed that then results in a change in action. It's first done for salvation, and then it's done on an ongoing basis for our ongoing discipleship. It's done once for salvation and then ongoing level for, for, for discipleship. So I would encourage you to th- think of it th- this way. Uh, repentance is, is coming before the throne room of God's grace, come before the cross, and recognize that I have missed the mark of God's standard in some area of life. And God, I agree with you. I don't wink at my sin. I agree with what you have said about my sin. I hate my sin as you hate my sin. And so I'm not going to wink at it any longer. And I confess that I have failed, at least in some area. God, would you please forgive me? And as we do that, God graciously comes into our lives. And Christ's Spirit then dwells within us. And we are filled with the Holy Spirit in that moment. We are brought into God's family, never to be separated from God. And that's the invitation that's made to all of us to make a decision for Christ as he has offered himself to us from the cross once for all time to bring us to God. It's an invitation for all of us that God wants for all people, a one-time decision. But what I want to encourage you on here, for those of you who are Christians in this room, repentance is not only a one-time decision. It's also a repeated discipline. It's a repeated aspect of our lives as Christians that we would regularly keep short accounts with God, acknowledge our failures to Him, and ask Him to forgive us in order that we would gain more power over our areas of temptation. It was the great Protestant reformer Martin Luther that said, repentance of bad works is the beginning of good works. Let me say it again. Repentance of our bad works is the beginning of good works. So it's acknowledging that I have failed God in this area. I say that out loud. I confess it to you, God, perhaps even to a friend, and I choose to turn in the other direction, a change in mind resulting in a change in action. If you go to our recovery ministry here on Monday night, say you're dealing with some kind of struggle or hang-up or addiction, if you go to that recovery ministry, you will hear people practicing this biblical discipline of repentance or confession each and every Monday night, in which people will acknowledge, my name is Jim, and I struggle with social media addiction. My name is Sally, and I struggle with pornography. My name is Jennifer, and I am addicted to alcohol, whatever it might be. And what's happening there is so very powerful because they're getting honest. And as we get honest with ourselves and honest with God and a few other people, we're able to overcome pride, we're able to become people of greater integrity, and then we're able to gain more power against that sin or that temptation itself. 
I'm not sure if you've ever done this practice, that at the end of the day, you just kind of reflect upon your day, and you say, God, search me. See what is offensive in me. See where I have failed today, and lead me in your way tomorrow. And I'm telling you, if you get in the habit of doing that on a regular basis, of keeping short accounts with God, the power of temptation in your life will decrease. Because to say it out loud, here's where I'm tempted, here's where I'm struggling, here's where I failed today, gives us new strength to overcome it tomorrow. You know, I have a counselor friend who is sharing with me that she is regularly seeing people who are coming to her practice now with social media addictions. And she said it looks a whole lot like the people that come to her practice with substance addictions. Minus the physiological addiction, the, the psychological addiction, the emotional, even the spiritual bondage is much the same, that she, she says. And so it may be wise for us from time to time if we're allowing ourselves to be on these devices constantly, we, we notice that maybe things are getting out of control to say, I need a change in mind leading to a change in action. Not just once for salvation, but an ongoing way for my discipleship. Let, let me show you where I find this in the Bible. A couple different examples. You look at the, uh, the Apostle Peter, for example. He and other disciples are giving the first sermons in the book of Acts. And as they're giving the first sermons, they are preaching to Jews and to non-Christian Romans. Typically, um, citizens of the Roman Empire who are practicing forms of pagan worship. And Peter stands up to the crowd and he tells these non-Christians, Jews and Romans, practicing pagan worship. He says, repent and turn back that your sins may be blotted out. Now what's he talking about there when he says repent and turn back that your sins may be blotted out? He's talking about that one time repentance that leads to salvation and leaves no regret that brings us into God's family. He's speaking to non-Christians. But very interesting, almost that same message, certainly the same language is given by the Apostle John over in 1 John chapter 1 verses 8 and 9. And here John, the beloved disciple of Jesus, is not preaching to non-Christians. He's preaching to the church. He's writing to those who are already convinced that Jesus is the Son of God. And he says this, If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. Church, church. If anyone on this stage, if anyone in this audience says we do not have sin, we, we deceive ourselves. And the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and he is just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And so what we do is while well, we go to God on a regular basis and we simply make this part of the discipline of our lives, I'm circling the word in my Bible, circling the word up on the iPad here, confess as a regular discipline of life. We give ourselves to God as we are saying, no hiding, here I am God, here's where I'm struggling. And the promise is, whatever it is you might have struggled with this past week, he is faithful and he is just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Again, isn't this interesting? It's the same message to a different audience. 
once for repentance, repeatedly for discipleship. You getting this? This is part of our ongoing discipleship. It's a spiritual discipline that we are wise to practice. I'd like to just share a little bit of my story with this as it relates to technology. And I don't want to stand up here and share my story too much, but it, it might help for you to know how I personally have wrestled with this one. Uh, Susie and I seek to be pretty simple people. We don't try to accumulate a lot of stuff. We've never had cable television. We don't have a lot of screens. We just, that's just the way we are. That's, what, that's whatever. That's the way we are. Um, it's part of the reason that we love Nebraska, by the way. <laughs> I mean, I really appreciate here that it's not all about keeping up with the Joneses. I was used to that where I came from. And even so, something happened in my soul about two and a half, three years ago where I started to believe certain lies related to digital technology. Because it was not about keeping up well with the Joneses, I was a relatively late adapter to smartphones. I didn't get my first smartphone until two and a half years ago. And then when I got it, I started to buy into certain lies the moment I got it. And I just want to share three of them with you. The first lie that I started to believe is that tech will make me happier. I started to believe that if I have this little device in my pocket, it's like everywhere, easy, instant gratification on demand, and it will make me happier. And this is part of what the, the, the salesmen at Silicon Valley seek to teach us, that it will indeed make us happy. Indeed, the great Steve Jobs, who was the CEO of Apple for such a long time, when he introduced the Macintosh operating system interface back in the year 2000, he said that one of the design goals was that when you saw the Mac OS interface, you wanted to lick it. Yeah, I said lick. Not like it, you wanted to lick it. That he made it in such a way that it would be like visual eye candy, conjuring the sense of lust that it's so beautiful you want to eat it up. And I did. I wanted some of that candy. No offense to the Android users in the audience. I just really like Apple devices. And when I got it, I was like, oh, this is the sweetest thing around. But let me tell you, that is a false promise which Steve Jobs cannot fulfill. It's the promise of instant happiness. And what it'll give you is maybe a week or two of happiness, and I certainly got that, but then I realized I needed to lick something else. Eventually, it'll wear off, right? No, it, it actually didn't make me happier. What it did was, in fact, increase my temptations. Now, I still use it, and I think actually now I need to use it, it's become such a part of my life, and, and perhaps it's necessary. I don't know. Another question for another day. But I still use it. But I've had to actually increase the boundaries on it because what I noticed happened was it didn't increase my happiness. What it increased was the sense of fidgeting in my pocket. That I would be having a nice conversation with a friend, and I'd feel something go off, and I'd feel this need to look down at my phone rather than looking in their eyes. Or I'd be on vacation with my beautiful family, and after they went to bed, what would I do? 
I'd have this fear of missing out on some kind of work that I need to catch up with. And so I would do a number of emails. Did you know that, Susie? Sorry. <laughs> you probably knew. <laughs> I'd do a bunch of, and that's just what I did on vacation. It was like, I'm missing out on the best that God has for me. The joy of being away from you all. No offense. <laughs> On vacation with my family. I mean, it just increased temptations. It didn't make me happier. So I got to figure out a way to put it in proper boundaries. Second, if I don't learn this new, whatever it is, I will fall behind. Anyone else thought this? Anyone? Come on, raise your hand with me. If I don't learn this new thing, whatever it might be, I will fall behind. Many of us have believed this. L let me tell you. There is no correlation. Parents, let me save you the $400. There is no correlation between your eight-year-old learning an iPad and their becoming an engineer. Save the money. The correlation is between mathematics and chemistry and physics and becoming an engineer. Doing really hard, rigorous, disciplined work is what leads you to becoming an engineer. You will not miss out if you do not learn the latest device. Rather, what will happen is you might miss out on that device and then it'll be outdated in 12 months and then you can learn the next device. Okay? I, I mean, it's, it's not a big deal. Th these things are not so um, hard. They're not made in such a way that it's difficult to learn them. They're made in such a way that two-year-olds or 92-year-olds alike can learn them with a little practice. So you're not missing out if you don't have some of them. You will learn when you need to learn. They're made in a simple way. Now, the, the, the work of, of developing into um, a well-rounded person or becoming an engineer or utilizing some of the technology for advancing something or using it for employment, now that's really, really hard, rigorous work. But the sense that I'll miss out, I'll fall behind, no, that's just a lie given to us by advertisers. Number three, I started to believe this lie, that tech will help me get closer to God. I'm kind of embarrassed, though, that I began to believe this lie, but uh, everyone was telling me about all these great apps that I was missing out on, on by not having a phone. So I got the phone, and I got Uversion, and I got Olive Tree, and I got Bible Gateway, and I got Logos, and I started using all of these. And, and those are really, really helpful for a lot of people. And so if they're helpful for you, by all means, use them. But what I found is I got those apps for studying the Bible, and I would get down to my prayer chair, and I'd take out my phone. And as I took out my phone to start doing my morning devotional, I would hear a ping. And so I would check that ping. And then I'd get back into my morning devotional, and then I'd get a notice about my fantasy football team. Oh, yeah, I better check that. And then I'd get a little buzz about a text. And then what happens to concentration? It's gone. The key to meeting with God is concentration. You've you, you got to eliminate distractions in order to concentrate and meet with God. It's a big reason why we are after spiritual depth, not spiritual busyness. More and more options frequently distracts us more and more. We need more concentration. So I just had to acknowledge that this was happening to me, and I had to turn in the other direction. Now, many of you might be able to utilize those just fine, and that's fine. There's a gentleman who comes to our first service, and I was speaking with him uh, a few weeks ago. And I, I know this man, what he does is so sweet for his kids and his grandkids. He sends them a morning devotional each and every day 
from a favored morning devotional of his to cultivate their relationship with God. It's beautiful. And he gets into those devotionals too, and then they have interactions around those, and that's a wonderful, beautiful thing. But we have to realize that there is this temptation that if we are always surrounded by video games and Netflix and whatever else, 30 minutes alone in the prayer closet with God will start to feel boring. Right? Can we admit that? When you are surrounded by easy everywhere, digital access on demand, immediate gratification all the time, then 30 minutes alone with God will start to feel boring. And I just have to admit that I ate that carrot. And I've had to repent of that. I've had to turn in the other direction. I've had to admit that to my wife. I've had to admit that to God. I've had to admit that to myself. That to some degree I have lost in the past couple years a little bit of passion for the God who was and is and is to come. And how could I settle for something less than him? Oh, Adrian, turn. Have a change in mind resulting in a change in action. Let me say again real clearly, what I'm not talking about here is yelling about what we're against. If you can use some of these things to your benefit, that's fine. I use some of them to, to my benefit. Discipleship is living what we are for, providing a better yes Providing appropriate liberties and appropriate boundaries that you need to discern with wisdom and courage for, your, for yourself and your family and living well within those. So let me just close by sharing three boundaries that, that we have decided on in our house as it relates to, to this. Okay, this is part of discipleship, seeking wisdom and then courageously so seeking to act it out. First, in our family, we value purity. We value purity. And so we put covenant eyes on all of our devices. Now Covenant Eyes is just a resource, again, that you'll find on the back of your outline that provides a filtering over all of your devices to prevent junk from coming in, okay? The, the guys at our Forge gathering, our men's ministry Forge gathering on Monday night and Wednesday morning have really led the way with this. About six months ago, Brian led them in all installing covenant eyes on their devices so the guys would take leadership of their families that we're going to keep trash out of our house. Why? Because we value women as equally made in the image of God and they are far more than sex objects. They're far more than toys for male consumption. We hate pornography. We love women as made in the image of God and so we refuse to allow that stuff to come into our home. Can you give thanks we have men like that leading in our church? Isn't that great? I love that about the guys in our church. And so we just made the decision in our family, we will be inconvenienced by this a little bit to keep this junk out of our house. Now, will it preclude 100% of the junk from getting in? Of course not. But when you go on vacation, do you lock your house? Yeah, to keep thieves out. And so also, you put a filter on your devices to keep Thieves of purity out. It won't do it 100% of the time, which is why we need great biblical community around us, great family around us. We always need the cross of Christ to forgive us whenever we fail, and he will forgive us each and every time. But it's wise to put appropriate filters in place. 
Second, we value transparency, so devices are used in common areas only. I want my wife to be able to look at anything that I look at online without embarrassment. So anything that I see, she can see. Any of my passwords, she can have access to. I want my kids to know that we will provide safety in our house. They don't need to fear certain websites when they get to the age that they could be exposed to certain websites. So we upload the devices with certain apps and certain internet sites that they're allowed to use, certain TV shows that they're allowed to watch, and nothing else. And then they do that in the living room where everyone cut and see. They don't bring it into the bedroom where they could be in isolation. They get their 30 minutes a day to do that. And then when we go to bed, our devices go to bed. Our devices do not go into our bedrooms with us. The bedroom is used for other things, thanks be to God. Okay? Okay? They go to bed when we go to bed. And that's good for our kids and for our marriages. Finally, we value conversation, so mealtime is conversation time. When we come to the dinner table and the phone rings, the phone rings. There's no TV screens on. Not because we're special, but because we value the person that we're looking in the eyes with more than we value that TV screen. Because we believe that the joy of conversation together, learning the joy of conversation together is part of the best that God has for us as individuals and families here in this world. And so to light some candles and to say some prayers and to offer blessings to one another and to look each other in the eyes and teach the kids the value of conversation, that's a beautiful thing that fosters bonding between us. Now, do we get it right 100% of the time? By no means. Not at all. There's no one perfect in this room. There's no one perfect on this stage. All I can say is we have to put the boundaries in place that enable us to get it right a whole lot more. Is this easy? Anyone? Tell your neighbor, no, this ain't easy. <laughs> Anyone? Come on, tell your neighbor, this ain't easy. This is not easy. No, it's not easy. But I promise you, Nothing in discipleship is easy. And nothing good that comes to us in life is easy. I'm going to close here this morning with one final verse that provides such a profound promise to me. It comes from Jesus interacting with the rich young ruler in Mark chapter 10, 28 through 30. And you might remember in that interaction, Jesus is talking to this rich young ruler who comes to him and says, I want to follow you. And what does Jesus tell the rich young ruler? He says, go sell your possessions and give to the poor, then come follow me. Well, why do you say that? Was he against money and possessions? It's not that. He wasn't against money and possessions. He said it because he saw into that man's heart that his money and his possessions were bigger, than him, were bigger for him than God. He will identify anything that looms too large in our hearts that gets bigger for us than God, and he'll tell us, get that out, it's looming too large, and then come and follow me. And Peter, Peter's like, um, well, Peter asks why. He's kind of like millennials. That's what I love about millennials. They ask why. It's not enough just to tell millennials, do this, don't do that. They ask why, and that's great. That's great for all of us. It helps us become better disciples. And Peter turns to Jesus, and he asks why. He says to him, Jesus, how could this be? We've left everything and followed you. How could you tell us to, to leave even this? 
And Jesus said, truly I say to you, there is no one who has left. Friends, this is one of the greatest promises in all the Bible. There is no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or, ha- or lands for my sake and for the gospel who will not receive a hundredfold now in this time, houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and lands, along with it persecutions, and in the age to come, eternal life. You see, there's this cost of discipleship that we might have to turn from some things that we like. But Jesus is saying here the cost of non-discipleship is far higher. He's saying the reward of discipleship is far greater. The promise is you will receive a hundredfold more in the age to come, but where else? Anyone? In this time, in this present age, my friends, if we discipline ourselves to say yes to Jesus, rather than other things, to prioritize him, to repent of anything that is getting in the way of us and God. One of the greatest promises of scripture is this. You will receive a hundred times more. Not only when you die, but in this present age, as you seek the best that Christ has for you, he'll give you more. So, Father, we give ourselves to you this morning. We acknowledge that the cost of discipleship is sometimes high. We acknowledge that perhaps the biggest area of discipleship in our day is the way we use our constant access to digital media. And, God, it doesn't matter what age we live in, There will always be a cost. There will always be a time where we say, God, your will be done, not my will. So, Father, I pray for my friends in this audience today. There are probably some of us who would have to admit there is something that is looming too large in their lives that has gotten in the way of their connection with Jesus. I've had to admit that over these past couple years that I allowed ESPN.com and fantasy football and emails to get in the way. Father, thank you for your forgiveness. It's not that those things are wrong, but how I use them were wrong. Thank you for your forgiveness. I wonder if there's anyone else in this room who would have to admit today as every eye is closed that something has loomed too large in their hearts, has gotten in the way of their worship, gotten in the way of their devotion, gotten in the way of their discipleship to the one who alone is God. If that's you, would you just raise your hand right now? And I want to pray for you. Oh my word, thank you, Lord. Hundreds of people with their hands up right now. Hundreds of us would have to honestly admit that some things have gotten in our way. 
we are truly sorry, Lord. We humbly repent for ways that we have allowed lesser things than the living God to take the place in our heart that belongs to the living God. Please forgive us. Please forgive us. Oh, I praise you, Lord God, that your word says, as we just read, that you are faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. You forgive us. You forgave everyone who just raised their hand and everyone who bowed their heart just now and said, yeah, I need to keep short accounts with God on this one. Now, we've talked this morning as well, Lord, about the fact that, that, that you invite all of us to repentance. You invite all of us to choose Christ, to receive your grace from the cross, to be forgiven of our sins. And I can't help this morning but to wonder, are there people in this room who haven't bowed their knee to Jesus? Friends, if you're in that spot right now that you haven't bowed your knee to Jesus, you will have none of his abundant life either today or for eternity until you do. And those are not my words. Those are the words of the Son of God. And I beg you to do work with God. Could it be the Holy Spirit is whispering to you right now? As every eye is closed, to turn your life over to God. To say, yes, Jesus, I want to follow you. I've lived with myself on the throne of my life long enough and it hasn't worked. I ask you to come in and reign in my life. If you're in that spot today, I don't want to embarrass you. So as every eye is closed, you just raise your hand if you're ready to make a decision for Christ today. You've been away from him for some time or you've never embraced him as Savior. Raise your hand high, please. I see several people in the front over here on the right. I see a young lady in the front over here. Another young lady in the middle. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you for this brother in the back here. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Five or six or seven, a man in the middle. Thank you, brother. I see your hand. I see your hand, sister, in the back. Thank you, Jesus. Oh, this is the gift of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Praise you, God. Praise you, God. Friends, you got to understand, this is the promise of our Lord. The promise of our Lord is this, that when a single person turns to Jesus in repentance, all of heaven rejoices. Do you rejoice at one child returning to the God who loves them? Do you rejoice? Oh, I rejoice at seeing that. We just saw seven or eight people give their lives to Christ. Four more, though, this morning at the 9 o'clock service. Praise be to God. Praise be to God. Who was and is and is to come. He receives us when we turn to him. If you made a decision, honestly, in your heart to say, today I give myself to you, God. I repent to you. I turn to you. Come talk to one of the prayer partners after service. Come talk to me or one of the pastors. Let us know that on the communication card. I want to come alongside you and help you grow in discipleship. This is the first step toward the great step of discipleship. In the presence of the one who alone is Christ, who brings us to the very best, abundant life in him. To him be all glory. Amen? Amen. Let's sing.